Good morning to you. Offer my welcome to you as well. My name is Martin. I lead the team here at Woodside. It's great to gather this, uh, this morning. Uh, just want to say that uh, I, some of this information you may not want to know, but some of this inform- information you might already know. Uh, I've just been into the gents' toilet, and I realised I took my microphone with me, and I didn't put mute on. Okay, <laughs> So I just want to check that you all haven't been listening, and then I've come out, and it's like an in-joke that I know nothing about. So... <laughs> Could you hear me? I don't believe a word of it, okay? Yeah. Anyway, it's great that uh, God's been reminding us in our worship about he comes and brings strength to us. I feel that's, uh, that will be a theme that will be picked up as we look at God's word today, I believe. And uh, it's, it's fascinating and unsurprising how many times God speaks prophetically to us and I'm looking at my preach thinking, wow, wow this, is, this is good. It's almost as if we plan this. And, uh, but of course we don't. You know, there's a sense of the Spirit is in us. We are people of the Spirit. God is with us. That's what happens. And uh, he brings unity with us. And then he leads us. And so some of which, I'm not only talking about strength and those type of things, but some of which while we're looking at, you'll think, oh, I, see the, I see the picture that God's trying to present here. And so that's, uh, that's very encouraging. Now... Let's pray, shall we, Liz, before we get into God's word together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. Thank you, a God who is for us. Thank you, a God who has revealed your love to us through your son, Jesus. Thank you that we are those that have had our lives turned upside down. Lord, I thank you that you are someone who is always inviting us to come closer to you. I thank you that you're someone who is seeking to connect with everyone in this room. Lord, wherever we we are on our journey, Lord, I thank you that you want to know us more and you want us to know you more. Lord, I thank you that by your Spirit, you're already leading us this morning. And so, Lord, we give ourselves again. We say, Lord, come and strengthen us. Come and be with us. Come and lead us as we find out more about you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Those of you who've been around the last few weeks, you know we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, one of the uh, books in the New Testament, the sort of second half of the Bible that describes the story of Jesus when he came, what he did, and uh, his teaching and what he demonstrated. Remarkable stories. We've been looking at some of those the last few weeks. And we've called this series Jesus the Game Changer because the more we get into this, the more we realize that. the more we realize that Jesus changes everything. And he demonstrates that with his kingdom power when he prays for people and sees people healed and uh, being brought freedom and released. But also, he's a game changer in what he teaches. And we're looking at Jesus, the teacher. We're looking at uh, what is arguably the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. So this isn't the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. We're looking at what was the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Uh, for those uh, following this in the Bibles, Luke 6 is where we are. Uh, we won't read it all, but Luke 6, uh, around uh, verse uh, 12, I think, uh, we see 
Jesus choosing his 12 disciples. He had by this time many people who were followers, who were following him, who were amazed by what he did. But now he was wanting to select what Luke actually called the 12 apostles. He said there was numbers, great number of disciples, but he actually chose 12 apostles. So sometimes we know them as apostles. Sometimes we know them as 12 disciples. Jesus actually been spending the night praying before. Big decision to make. Who am I going to select He comes down, he gathers all his disciples, that great number, and then he chooses 12 of them. I have you, and I have you, and I want you, and etc., etc. Imagine you're a school teacher, and one day you go out on the playground, and you see dozens of children playing football, and it's slightly chaotic. You know, there's... And it's not 11 aside, it's 25 or 30 aside, you know. And it's, uh, there are some rules, but it seems to be a little bit, you know, let's all go for it and make it up as we go along. And uh, you're the teacher, you call them together and you begin to slowly but surely go through and say, I want you to be in the football team. I want you to be in the football team. And everyone knows what you're doing. You're picking the football team. Now, I grew up in Bedford. I went to... Hazeldean. In fact, I went to all the, most of the schools in Bedford as I grew up. And uh, I remember being at Hazeldean. And I, the, I mean, I, I didn't enjoy school particularly, but I loved playtime. I loved when you went on the playground and, you know, hopefully one of the, one of the friends had bought a football and, and you'd play. It was like, I was Johan Cruyff. Those of you who remember, you know, that's who I was while I was playing. Anyone know Johan Cruyff? Okay, you oldies, come on, help me here, okay? And some of us youngsters here are thinking, who's Johan Cruyff, you know? Uh, and uh, fantastic time, but it was chaotic, you know, it really was, 25 aside, and uh, there was no offside. You know, the person who was in goal was sometimes the one who was closest to the goal. Uh, we sort of knew football, but it wasn't really the same as being in the football team. And I remember then we were, I was chosen to be in the football team. We had a great football team. We won the cup. We won the league. In fact, one of the, t- the guys actually, uh, would you believe it, uh, was in the reserves for Crystal Palace, he told me some years later. I know, I know. But you know, there's a big difference between the playground football and when you join the football team. You know, there's, there's the, the, the team colours you wear. There's, uh, there's the rules. You know, there's now offside. You've got a ball. You're not playing with a tennis ball, which often we used to play with. You're playing with a proper football. And uh, yeah, can you imagine what um, the, the school teacher, it used to be Mr. Harpin, was our, was our PE teacher. And he had to take these lads and then give them clear instructions on what he wanted them to do. Because actually, when you go from playground football to football football, it, it's very different. There's similarities, but actually a lot has changed. You see, when you take that to what Jesus was doing, he'd been teaching them, he'd been demonstrating his power, but he was gathering 12 that he wanted to tell four things that they should do and four things that they shouldn't do. And they'd been involved in lots of things up until that point. Some have been saying, uh, you know, in that crowd, they've been saying that we need to go away in the desert and pray. We need to, you know, some were following Herod. Some were sort of zealots, which were passionate military terrorists. 
But you say, look, you've heard all these things. Now I'm going to give you four things you should do or four things you shouldn't do. And it wouldn't have been passed by those people, the disciples, that Jesus chose 12. Because they would have known that 12 was a significant number because Jesus had 12, or sorry, God chose 12 tribes of Israel many years before. And those 12 tribes of Israel were going to be part of fulfilling God's promise to the whole of the world. So the fact that there were 12 chosen was also signifying that these 12 were going to be significant in God's purposes to bring his promises to the whole of the world. But it was a real game-changing moment. Whatever they might have built their life upon in the past, Jesus was going to introduce something very different now. He even used similar pattern as we get into it. You talked about blessings and woes, which was language which one of the old books in the Bible, Deuteronomy, uses. Lots of blessings, lots of woes. I'm going to use that framework so you understand where I'm going. But this is a game-changing moment. This is a new vision, a new covenant. This is going to be a radical upside-down teaching that Jesus is going to bring. And so we're told he stood on a level plain. It's quite interesting. This episode is recorded in Matthew as well, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's more the Sermon on the Plain. And many scholars describe it as probably on the side of the mountain that Luke was referring to. And so you have them on the side of a mountain. And Jesus gathers, after, after choosing the 12, he gathers everyone. His 12 disciples, but then the rest of the disciples, you've got that group, this great number of disciples, but you've got this other group of the crowd, the multitude that have come in from the towns and villages, bringing their sick to be prayed with and to be healed. So you've got these two groups of people, those who believe in Jesus and those who are just looking in. I mean, it, I mean it's like today. You know, we have two groups in the room every week. It's wonderful. We have those that said, yes, I'm clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Others are saying, no, I'm not sure. And that's fine. It's, it, in this context, we want this church to be a place where we always have a place where believers can say, yeah, I'm clear on that. And others can say, well, I'm, I'm still asking questions. That's a good place to be. Keep asking those questions. But even those who are believers, we want those, that to be a journey that people carry on. It's not like, well, we've just arrived. Heaven forbid. It's actually the more we find out about God, the more we realize that God wants to change more of us and lead us and direct our lives. So you have these two groups of people. And then Jesus begins to speak and you get this amazing sermon. And I'm I'm just going to pull out a section of it. So it's from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20. This is what he said. Looking at his disciples, so first he looks just at his disciples. That's not just the 12, that's the wider group of disciples as well. He said these words. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. There's not many poor people say, how blessed am I? See, this is, this, is, this, is, this is game-changing. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Then he continues with the woes. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. You see, together with the, the blessings and the woes, as we can see, they make a mockery of the world's values. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not sure if I agree with these new values. But the values even then, but also today, it's it's completely the opposite to the values and the understanding of how we view life works in our culture. See, Jesus is turning the value system on its head. See, in our world, most people think that blessings consist of success, wealth, long life, victory in battle. It, it's, that's how we talk. It's how I talk, actually. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have said quite recently about something that, that God has blessed me with and it, it didn't fit into the category that Jesus described. It was more about you know, how blessed we are with, with um, other material things, which I think is a blessing. But that's not the point that, God's tr- that Jesus is trying to make here. See, Jesus is offering what one writer says as wonderful news. For the hungry and the poor and those who mourn and those who are hated or insulted. Let's look a bit closer at this. Let's use some of these examples of blessings and then we'll look at the woes and just see the picture that Jesus is painting. The first one, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. If we can put the one up please. Now I mentioned to you before that Uh, Luke writes, one of the writers in the gospel writes this, and also Matthew writes his version. It's quite helpful just to compare those sometimes, because some of the things that Luke implies, Matthew is more explicit on. He unpacks them a little further. Do we struggling with that? Oh, it's behind me. It's not on there, you see. Completely thrown. Okay, great. You notice it says, as I've written there, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. That's how Matthew expands what Luke is saying. For yours is the kingdom of God. See, Matthew helps us to understand what Luke and therefore Jesus is driving at. See, to be poor is to be those that are bringing nothing to the table. In fact, the word for poor, it describes someone who's, who's almost like a beggar. That's, that's why that word is used. And almost desperate for, for something to rescue them from their situation. See, for the rich of this world, they're often seen as self-reliant. 
self-achievers and self-sufficient. Whereas what Jesus is saying, it's, it's not those that blessing comes, although that's how the world views it. Jesus says it's those who are like a beggar, who are poor in spirit, say, I have nothing, I have nothing. That's, that's the upside down world that Jesus is communicating. Let's look at the next one just to paint the picture. Blessed are you who hunger. And again, Matthew adds, and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Jesus continues in the, the other ones, talks about blessings for the persecuting, blessing for those who weep. See, this is about how we come to God. It's about our relationship with him. It's about actually God's picture and how he views us and what we base our lives upon. It helps, though, to look at the woes to get the full understanding of what Luke and therefore Jesus is unpacking. So let's look at the woes, which are only found in Luke. Matthew doesn't describe the woes, although Matthew, when he writes, gives us more blessings, as it were. He talks about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's other versions of those. But interestingly, what Luke does, he almost gives gives the the other side of the coin. And you compare these up, those that are poor and those that are rich. But the word for woe does not convey a threat to someone. See, sometimes it's all woe betide you. And there's, there's something like, if, if that happens, whoa, this is going to happen. I remember uh, with, um, you know, when you have kids, uh, Dawn and my uh, daughter's now grown up now and married. Uh, but I remember Esther, our eldest, when she was a right pain, to be honest. The funny thing is, we cannot remember what she was. Um, grandma and granddad here were shaking their heads, surely not. But, but uh, we can't remember what she did, ironically. But it was so bad what she was doing. She was young. We said that she would have to, she couldn't have our CD player in her bedroom. This was a big deal to Esther because she loved playing a CD when she went to bed. Would listen to the music and drop off to sleep. It's lovely, isn't it? But woe betide you, Esther. And so we, we made that threat. I can't remember what she did wrong. And so we confiscated the CD player. Yes, as tough as I got. For a month, okay? And uh, Esther who's made of tough stuff, said, that's okay, Dad, I will sing myself to sleep. <laughs> I'm thinking, whoa, betide you, you know. And so we took it off her. We thought, oh, that's okay, I'll break her. <laughs> that's terrible. I'll break her. And uh, went through the month, and the end of the month, I mean, Dawn and I went through hell that month, okay? We're feeling terrible about this decision. And then the end of the month, we go to Esther and say, Esther, special day, big moment. You can have your CD player back. She'd completely forgotten anything about it. She's just been singing away. And so it didn't. Now, it's not like that. The word woe here does not convey a threat. It's more like, oh, alas, or how terrible, or no, don't go that way. It's woe. It, it expresses a sense of regret and compassion. It's Jesus saying, oh man, if you put your life and build your life on that, the consequences are, whoa. So this is what he says. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your reward. It's like there's consequences, but he also says later on, woe to you who are 
well fed now for you, you will go hungry. You see, it's not that Jesus is anti-rich. It's not that he's anti-wealth. And there's no doubt about God blesses us with those things, to be clear. But people who are rich, wealthy, affluent, are vulnerable to thinking that they need for nothing more. That's what Jesus is saying. See, those who are well fed now, or those who are full, if we, and I say we because most of us in this room fit into this category in our culture, in the West. Now, you may not think you're rich, and you may be struggling with financial provision, and so I'm not demeaning that. But most people in this room, this cuts right into the way our society works, which is why it's a game-changing teaching. And Jesus says, no, don't build your life on that. But he's not anti it. Do you understand? Put it another way, Boris Becker, when I grew up, Boris Becker was a remarkable tennis player. And he put it this way, as a way of illustrating this point. He said this, I have won Wimbledon twice before. Once as the youngest player, I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed, money, cars, women, everything. But I had no inner peace. See, that's what Jesus means. He says, woe to giving yourself to that. Don't go down there. Those who allow material possessions to be the all in all, to think that they need, therefore, nothing of God, they shall hunger because true satisfaction is found in Jesus. Now, there's a great temptation to say that these blessings and these woes is something that's talking about a future fulfillment. That this is something that actually, this is talking about something that is when we go to be with God, when we die and go to heaven, as it were, that's when we see the blessing of God in the way that Jesus is teaching here. And that's clearly true. One of the uh, ones that said, uh, talked about, blessed are those of people who hate you, then went on at the end and said, rejoice in that day, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. So that there is a future aspect to this. But we would be massively mistaken if we thought Jesus was just describing some encouragement for us that one day it will all work out okay when we go to be with God. Because Jesus said, I am bringing the kingdom of heaven now. And so there is blessing to us who are poor and hungry, who come to God with, with nothing as it were. And don't build our life on, on, on the values of the worldly system that, are, that have their own blessing. Comfort comes through money and, and uh, materialism. But actually the real blessing, the real satisfaction is when we come like that poor in spirit person that Luke and Matthew describe. Then we find true blessing, whatever our circumstances. A guy called Tom Wright, who is a great theologian, uh, described heaven in this way. Sometimes we think of heaven as this thing, one day we'll be floating on a cloud somewhere. Is that, you know, somewhere. But this, he describes this, it's so helpful. Heaven is God's space where full reality exists, close by our ordinary, 
earthly reality and interlocking with it. There's this sense of heaven invading earth. One day, heaven and earth will be joined together forever and the true state of affairs at present out of sight will be unveiled. So at the end of time, when Jesus returns, it talks about there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. He continues, the clue comes from the prayer that Jesus taught his followers. We are to pray that God's kingdom will come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world, transforming the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended and those who follow Jesus are to begin to live by this rule here and now. Hallelujah. So what Jesus is describing, this new covenant, this new teaching, this this game-changing moment is not just some future promise. This is the life today. We know blessing today because Jesus has turned the values upside down. So blessing doesn't come from riches and wealth, although clearly they are a blessing from God. But not to build your life upon because then it's a, whoa, don't go down there. Jesus says, but actually, you come to me and say, I'm hungry for righteousness. I'm hungry for, for, for your life in me. God says, that's where the blessing is really found. It's amazing. And it's not based on our, our own efforts. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our bank balance. It's not based on the size of our house. It's based on placing our trust and our faith in Jesus. And then we find true riches. And this is radical stuff. I would go as far to say that in our, our um, country that we have to make sure that we are keeping in step with these values. Uh, Jesus, after he spoke on, on, on this section, the, the blessing of the woes, he then used a number of illustrations to describe the life of a believer. He talked about a tree that produces good fruit and a tree that produces bad fruits. And then at the end, another other ones as well, he talks about loving your enemies and said that loving people that are nice and that are lovable is easy. I want you to love your enemies. And so following on from this blessing and woes, get the values of your life right. He then illustrates it a number of ways, really very, in really challenging ways. And then at the end of this section, he said this, which I just want to mention. He said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? For everyone comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. I will show you what you are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was, built, it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundations. The moment the torrent struck that house, that house, it collapsed, and destruction was complete. What Jesus is saying is, is, put my words into practice, and you will know the blessing I speak of. Don't put them into practice, and it's like a house that it's not, it doesn't have deep foundations. It has no foundations. Powerful imagery. Okay, so can I ask the band just to join me, actually? Deb, do you know? Thanks. Just as they come, I just want to... Give us a few possible ways that we can respond. I'd love, and then I'd love us to sing that song, Strength Will Rise, and just feed off God. 
and the blessing that he has for us. Let me just give you some thoughts as we come to God in how we apply it. The first is this. If you are like those who are standing in the crowd, that's, that's, I'm saying that you're not yet a believer. You're interested. You're in the room. But you maybe have not made that decision. Well, I would encourage you to make the right choice today and decide to build your life on the values that Jesus talks about. There is greater blessing. There is all the hope. There is all the promise that you long for. Like Boris Becker described, there's an inner peace that God has. But he has it if we place our lives and build our lives on him. Secondly, if you are hungry for more of God today, if you are hungry for righteousness, hungry for more of his transformation, hungry to feed off him, then come to him today and be satisfied. Thirdly, if you've known tough moments and real sadness, then there's joy found in God today. That's part of the blessing that Jesus describes. Maybe for you, you've even experienced criticism or exclusion or suffering or even persecution. You can come to God today and find encouragement. And lastly, and maybe for many of us, if you know God, maybe he's calling for obedience. He's saying, put my, my truth into practice. Build on, build your house with deep foundations and come and be filled with God and let's partner with him. Let's stand together, shall we? Love us to sing the song Strength of Wise and then we will pray and then we will finish. But I ask you, where does God want you to respond in this moment? You promise a blessing on those who come with a sense of poor in spirit. Lord, we thank you that means we come as those that are not saying, Lord, we got it sorted. We're not saying we are self-sufficient. We're not saying that it's all about me. Actually, God, what we're saying is it's all about you. And Lord, it's amazing that you then say to us, I bring blessing on your life. So if you want to receive blessing from God today, I just encourage you just to put your hands to God. Just, it's a good way of just making yourself visibly open. And I just want to pray a blessing on you. You know what you need from God in this moment. We may have touched on it. Uh, we may not have done, but you know whatever it is, God has all that you need today. So Father, I pray a blessing on all those that are reaching out to you at this moment. We thank you, God, that when we do that, your answer is yes and amen. Yes. I thank you that you bring strength to the weary. I thank you that you bring hope for those who are in desperate situations. Thank you, God, that you fill us with your spirit. And so we pray, Spirit of God, would you come upon us now and would you bring your blessing on us. Lord, we, we, we are those that believe in being satisfied in you. Lord, guard our hearts from placing our trust and our faith in riches or other things. Lord, we thank you that they are, of course, a blessing from you but they're not to build our life upon. We come to you as those who are hungry and thirsty for more of you. So Jesus, we pray, would you, would you bless all those that reach out to you now? Hallelujah.
just as we stand, just feel to say that if you have been far from God for many years, or maybe you've never fully said, I want to follow you, God, I just feel this is a moment for some in the room. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly necessarily, but I just feel you've got to, you've got to say that to God now. Say, okay, I'll give in as it were. Lord, I've, I've looked at building my life on many things. Now I want to build on you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to place my trust on you. I encourage you to do that before God now. Thank you, Jesus. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. We're going to finish now. Just if you've uh, been praying, if you can cry out to God, if you'd like prayer this morning there's, or to talk with someone, about what you've been praying about, then there'll be some folks here who would love to do that with you. Uh, But we are done. God bless you. May God's blessing go with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.